Are we talking what today? CO2? We're talking one of the other things I learned and as I said, I did a lot of experiments and one of which was the relationship between pH and the room CO2 levels. Most people have, have gotten to the point where everything in their tank is good, they don't worry about anything, but they can't get their pH up above 7.9. Mm -hmm. And that was the case downstairs for the past six years. I could never get the pH up over 7.9. I tried just about everything. I had calcium hydroxide dripping in at right. night. Right. I did more water flow. I uh, added air stones, I added agitation in the CO2 sump. CO2 scrubbers. No, I hadn't gotten to the CO2 oh, scrubber really? yet. Okay, okay. I, I looked at all the simple things. Okay. And none of those really improved the CO2. Mm -hmm. And I was having issues with STN, slow tissue necrosis. And one of the papers I found, that was one of the other benefits of COVID, mm -hmm. I got to read a lot of scientific papers, one of which showed that high CO2 levels in a tank and low pH are associated with higher concentrations of pathogenic bacteria in the microbiome around the corals, and that's why you get STN. Mm -hmm. So obviously, I was having issues with it. I talked to enough other people that were also having issues with low levels of pH. Mm -hmm. It would get as high as 7.9 at the peak of the day, and it would drop to 7.6, 7.5, and then Jake had some issues, and Bulk Reef Supply had some articles showing that if you want to get growth in your tank, and super increase it, get your pH levels up. Right, right. So obviously between trying to get improve the growth of my tank, trying to control the RTN or STN, I started looking at pH very aggressively. Mm -hmm. So first thing I did was I got a CO2 scrubber, thinking the CO2 scrubber would change dramatically. Right. So it brought it up from 7.9 to 8.0 to 8.1. It did some, but it still was not the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And I had to change out the media every two weeks. In uh, a 500-gallon tank, sucking yeah. in air, it does that. Right. So reading and looking, I found that it doesn't matter what you're doing. First thing you want to do is have fresh air in the tank. Mm -hmm. The more fresh air you have, the less CO2 you have building up in the room. Sure. Well, how do you measure that? Amazon has a cheap, and eBay has an even cheaper version of the same thing. It's like 50 or 60 bucks, a room CO2 monitor. Mm -hmm. So I put that in. Outside, at first I tested it outside. Right. Outside level of CO2 is typically between 400 and 500, and in the early morning it's about 410 to 420. In the evening it gets up to around 500, but that's not bad. I took it down to the room that was closed with the tank in it, 
It was twelve hundred. <laughs> okay, obviously mm -hmm. thinking this probably isn't a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's eight hundred parts per million higher than it is. Mm -hmm. CO two scrubber is going to be good, but if you have a lot of excess CO two in the room, all it's going to do is diffuse into the tank anyway. Sure. Even with good surface agitation, you're not really going to remove the CO two. So the next step was how do I get rid of the CO two in the room? I had the monitor. Obvious answer first was open up the windows. Right which is what I did. Open up the windows, CO2 levels dropped. Even in the winter time, now I open up the window. Mm -hmm. I open up a little bit, I put a couple of towels in front of it. That keeps, for the most part, the heat in, but the air can go back and forth. Sure. The room doesn't get too cold, the tank doesn't get too cold, uh, and the CO2 levels stay normal. Mm -hmm. If you run the CO2 monitor with your pH monitor, mm -hmm. you can watch the correlation. High CO2, low pH. Low CO2, high pH. It's an inverse sure. correlation. It's literally one-to-one. -one. Sure. And a couple of people have done this online, and they showed when the room CO2 was high, their pH was low. That got it up to, I could get it up to 8.2. Mm -hmm. I w still wasn't doing it. I put the gyres on, and I put one at the very top sure. to improve the surface agitation. Because I have lower room CO2, that helped a little bit. Then I did two other things. I took the CO2 scrubber off because I got tired of paying for the media. Right. That brought it back down a little bit. So how could I make it better without running the CO2 scrubber? How could I make it simple? I did two major changes. Mm -hmm. One, I put air stones in the overflows. My overflows are almost four feet from the top down to the bottom. Mm -hmm. So I run a air, ceramic air stone with ceramic little uh, discs around it right. to weight it down down to the bottom of the tube. I crank up the air in there, it blows up across the water. So it's acting like a giant skimmer and all the CO2 laden water from the tank is having well oxygenated water blow across it and driving off the CO2. That brought it up to 8283 and then the tank would no longer drop below 8.0 at night. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, is there something else I can do better? Well, this is like a giant skimmer. Why don't I try and improve the air intake in my skimmers? Right. Since I'm running two really efficient skimmers, I wasn't running them. I was running them wet, and I was running them a little bit lower in the tank. Sure. I raised them up another two inches on the tank with uh, these uh, oil change discs that you yes. raise things up with. Yes. Raised them up two inches, and I turned off the shutdown on the airflow. That is, I increased the airflow to maximum. Mm -hmm. So they're now running drier. I dropped the water level down in the skimmers increase the airflow to compensate for it. That increased the amount of air going in dramatically. pH now only drops down to 8081 at night, and it goes up to 84, sometimes as high as 85. You really don't want to get above 85. That's where you tend to have problems. Sure. Since I've done that, that's one of the few things I can honestly say has dramatically improved things. Uh, the RTN I was treating and SDN mm -hmm. I was treating at the same time, that stopped and dissipated. Then I just went to a higher pH. I'm getting faster growth as seen by increased growth tips and faster alkalinity consumption. Uh, almost 20% more alkalinity. Really? Where before I was putting in two cups into a gallon of water of the soda ash, mm -hmm. I now have to do two and a half cups. So that's 20%. Right, right. right. So that, that's a marked increase in consumption. I also have a higher consumption of calcium. Because uh, I'm using the balling method for adding it, sure. I also had to increase the amount of calcium and the amount of magnesium going into the tank. Sure. So to me, that's indicative that 
the corals are growing faster than they were before, not just because they've gotten bigger, because mm -hmm. there's still a lot of small frags in the tank, but they're consuming things faster. The RTN has gotten more under control, and the pH, most importantly, is always higher, significantly higher than it was before. Sure. I mean, 0.5 may not sound like a lot, but going from a high of 7.9 to a high of uh, 8.4 is a dramatic improvement. Yeah, and isn't it logarithmic? It's logarithmic, yeah. so it's, you know, half of tenfold, so it's a five-fold increase, if my math's right. Right, exactly. Okay, so question would be, since you got those massive skimmers and air, why do you think the air stones helped more than, I shouldn't say more than, but it incrementally helped? It incrementally helped, but the, the skimmers did even more. Right. Each one, each step has brought it up a little bit more. Adding the surface agitation on the tank added a little bit. Right. Getting rid of the CO2 in the room was the biggest thing. Sure. Because if I close it, when it's hot out during the day, we close it for the air conditioning because I don't want the tank to get too hot. Right. Then the the CO2 will still get to about 1,000 down there, where before you used to get to 12, 1,400. Mm -hmm. So it's still getting high. If we have people over, mm -hmm. you can see the CO2 <laughs> skyrocket downstairs. Right. Uh, if When you and I were down there, it went from 400 to 600. Right. If the window had been closed, it would have been 1,000 easily. Right, right, right. Everything generates a lot of CO2. People have asked, well, can't you put a plant on there? Right. Plant sucks in oxygen at night or during the at night and gives off CO2. So it's not going to help it at night. So if I want to take the plant in there during the day and have it give off oxygen and take it out at night when it gives off CO2, right. I'm not going to do that. That's too much work. Right, right. But doing these new incremental changes to just tinkering with things has made a big difference in the overall tank and the overall pH in the tank. And it's added, or it's not had me add another contraption to the tank right, right. in the form of a CO2 scrubber. Uh, they work, and they work very well, and I was quite happy with the one. But it's just something else I got to change, I got to do, I got to spend half an hour taking it apart because it's built to be pressurized. Right. So it, it's not just, okay, you snap this, bing, and you're done. Right. It took a while, and it was consuming it very quickly because the room CO2. Right. Simplest thing I did was open a window. Not everyone can open a window, but if you can't, you might be able to run an airline to another room and draw it into your skimmer. That will help. Uh, in the summer when my windows are closed, what I do, I open up the door going out to the garage. That's another big open room full of unhigh CO2 air, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And it's cooler, it draws that air in. Because what I do is I flip the switch on the fan in the bathroom so it draws the sure. cool air in from the garage that has low CO2, so that helps to keep the CO2 level down. Sure. Obviously, I add to my electric bill, but a bathroom fan isn't going to add a lot. Yeah, yeah, no. So just doing simple things like that. Oh, the other thing now, 
is particularly in the summertime, I blow a fan across the water mm -hmm. because the one that cools the tank, it also cools the LEDs, but it also increases the CO2 and the or decreases the CO2 by getting better surface agitation across Which the top. Which makes sense. And then you got, you don't have any chillers on anything anymore, right? No, the only thing that cools that tank is a Vornado fan. Yeah, man. It, it, it does make a difference. It does cool the tank. At least a degree, a degree and a half. So uh, that's what I was going to say. What are you running it at? Are you still at the seventy? I run it at max, and I run the tank between seventy-seven and seventy-eight. Okay. And again, it's a big tank. So yeah, and it stays there, and it's pretty stable. The air conditioning vent is designed to blow down onto the tank and onto the uh, mm -hmm. LEDs. That helps keeps it cool. Obviously, it's in the basement. That helps keeps it cooler. Right. So there's everything I've done is designed to make it as efficient as I can. I remember when I had my 1,200-gallon tank, I was running a two-horsepower chiller plus an air conditioner for the room, and my electric bills were $900 a month. <laughs> right. We're not spending $900 yeah. Okay, so originally you did this, right, to kind of see if it would help, not only the growth and all that, but you were saying with the STN and all that. Right. Did it? Yeah, the R okay. RTN, that's, it's another incremental improvement in having RTN and STN happen at the time. Okay. And again, for the new hobbyist, would you uh, recommend them kind of starting right out the gate worrying about it? Or yeah, for anyone getting, getting your pH up, you're gonna get faster growth in your corals, you're gonna have probably less disease, more stability in the tank, mm -hmm. just overall better. I mean, over the years we have totally sort of neglect pH. Oh, my pH is 7.9, it's fine, it's 7.8. Right. We were all under the assumption that that's not causing any detrimental effects in the tank. But after being home and being able to observe everything for the last 18 months and seeing what changes can occur as a result of higher or lower pH and then improving it. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm doing an uh, article for uh, TFH mm -hmm. on the things we have neglected and overlooked over the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. Mechanical filtration, pH, and salinity. Mm -hmm. Those are three things we don't really look sure. at or sure, worry sure. ourselves about. Sure. But that's particularly pH has become... Right something very important for me to try and stabilize and keep as high as I can, as long as I can. Right, right. So uh, a couple questions, uh, not related to the pH, but to your point, since we've had kind of, again, COVID and all that sort of stuff, right? You've been doing a lot of writing. Where can people find your writing? Then? I'm writing for TFH. Mm -hmm. I'm writing for Ultramarines Magazine in London mm -hmm. or England. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm writing for Coral View, and I'm writing for uh, What's the other one? I can't remember the fourth just one. Coral? No. No. And there's another one. Okay. If, if you go online and just put my name and you'll see the articles. And, um, okay, back to the, to the CO2 side of it. Did you see instantaneous changes? Or, how, in other words, once you got your pH, right, to the, you know, to your A2, like, did you notice anything? I started seeing growth tips on corals where the, Growth tips had gradually gotten smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. uh, after two to three weeks, I started seeing growth tips pop up again. Okay, and so that and that's relatively quick. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because so, yeah, usually nothing really shows for a month or two. Right, right. But uh, I mean, being home, being able to observe it every day and saying, mm -hmm. "Oh, there's purple on the edge of these. These right. are just green." Right. You know, you you start to see things positive again. And then when you did that, you didn't change anything else because remember you were doing no. additives and all this was one of the experiments. What improvement in reduction in CO2 and improvement right. in pH did. Right. Now nothing else was changed. Got it. And no, uh, I mean I, I do have a scientific background. I do try to only change one <laughs> parameter at a time to see what it does. 
But obviously I did them probably faster because I didn't know long, how long COVID would go and I thought a month was enough time. Sure, sure. But realistically, everything should have been done either quarterly or in six month increments. Sure. But I'm gonna be an old guy, I can't <laughs> wait 10 years to get all my experiments done. So right. that's part of the deal too. All right. Okay, so speaking of which, remember, again, we'll say before COVID, right? you had, you were experimenting basically with various additives, we'll call it, right? Right, I'm still adding the trace elements. Like, uh, Andre Mueller at uh, Reef Moonshiners has set up the perfect system for doing trace elements mm -hmm. in that you do your ICP test. Basically, you got your ICP test back in the past. And you go, okay, I'm low in this and low in this. What do I do? Right. And then you'd add a, a bunch of stuff, which had everything under the sun. His new formulation, everything is separate. If you want to add vanadium, you want to add manganese for your goniaporas, you want to add uh, boron, sure. anything you want, you get your ICP test back, mm -hmm. you plug your numbers and your tank size into a calculator that he has, it tells you precisely what you need to add daily, mm -hmm. or if you want to do one big dose, right. however you want to do it, it's easy. Right. So now everything is right before you in terms of adding trace elements. And to get some of the colors that we see, you really do have to meticulously change and add some of the, the trace elements. Right. In small increments, again, you don't want to dump a whole bucket of stuff in. Uh, the most I've ever added of any of those trace elements at one time was five milliliters. So, so five And your tank, again, your water volume, yeah. again, is what, 800, 900? That's 640 okay. gallons. There you go. But I got a, uh, a digital, not a digital, but a pipette. Yeah, yeah. And I can measure out it precisely what I need, draw in the stuff, shoot it into the tank, right. perfect, very right. easy. And of all the trace elements, right, what you're doing is you're saying, hey, it's not just one, but it's the combination or the ranges among all of them. Some of them affect other ones. Mm -hmm. So you add one at night. Most of them I add at night. A couple of them I add in the morning because they interact with the ones that you add at night. Mm -hmm. Some of them you have to make sure that like your potassium and or your phosphate and your nitrates aren't too high when you add iron. If you add iron and you have faucet, you may as well just light a fuse for algae to go berserk. Sure. So everything, you have to do your reading. This isn't just a cookie cutter, ding, ding, ding. Right. Every right. tank is dish different. Read everything that's on the Reef Moonshiner. Read the Reef Moonshiner handbook mm -hmm. and look up what each one does so that you have an idea. Because some cause extra fluorescence, some sure. cause extra coloration, some improve growth. Uh, some everyone has something. Sure. I actually wrote an article on trace elements. I can't remember everything I learned <laughs> doing that, but there's there's a lot to each trace element. Sure. sure. And like I said, you're not adding a ton of them. There's a reason they're called trace elements. Mm -hmm. They're in very small, and you're not going to notice an effect probably for a couple of months. Right. Uh, I, and I would also suggest that when your tank is doing well, that's when you're going to notice the effect. If your tank is doing crappy, adding trace elements isn't going to make it better. Right. Right, it goes back to your the previous videos where again you're looking at incremental benefits, not huge. Yeah, you're not gonna like I said, you're not suddenly gonna get a frag grew into a colony overnight. Right. You might see more color, you might see more pink or orange or whatever in a coral that you didn't see it in and, and figure it out from there. And so to that point, again, for the new hobbyists, right, about again your trace elements. Since they're new to it, would you advise them to again look at it that way or do water changes to replace it or what's your general I, I always do water changes that was one of the things I did when I was doing these as supplements only mm -hmm. I didn't do water changes I'm a big advocate of water changes because I have a lot of fish and a lot of waste and other sure. stuff goes 
And when I had detritus in the tank, I had a lot more problems than when I do the water changes. I'm primarily doing water changes not to replenish stuff, mm -hmm. but to take out stuff, okay. bad things. Mm -hmm. As good as my skimmers are, as good as my mechanical filtration is, there's still dead spots here and there. There's still detritus formulation. I try to siphon all that gunk out of the tank. Sure. And if you, whenever I mentioned in the previous video about testing things, you want to test stuff for phosphate, test a quarter <laughs> teaspoon of your detritus, let it dry, yeah, yeah. and put a quarter teaspoon, put it in a liter of water, yeah. see what the, it's, how much off the scale it is. You're kidding. It's really? amazing how much phosphate is in the detritus I have, at least in my tank. I always thought it was inert. No, really? it's a it's a it's a it's a nutrient sink. Okay. So we we can talk about this in another video. That's what I was gonna say. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll tell you what. We'll end it there. Okay. We know what our next subject of the next. We video know is. next video. We're <laughs> we're good because it's only three thirty, quarter to four. We have time. Perfect. Well, again, thanks for the lesson. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, and not only CO two, but CO two to pH. Yeah, CO two to pH. There's always something. Good deal.